Dave up here was explaining keys to me before the service. Do you know that musicians play in different keys? I, I don't know how they keep that straight in their heads. It's just, we're going to do this one in C, whatever that means. <laughs> I marvel at musicians. I really do. Well, today's topic is going to be faith of our fathers. And I just got back from a wonderful vacation with Wendy to uh, way up north at Lassen and Mount Shasta. We were camping and hiking and I'm just amazed that there's almost nobody living in the northeast corner of California. I think almost nobody up there. It's just forest after forest after forest. No cell reception, no nothing. And these roads that go up these mountains, we went over many seven and 8,000 foot mountain passes. And I always say the same thing to Wendy. Who built these things? Who carved these hills, these, these roads through these craggy mountains? Who did this? What truth is back in the 20s and the 30s when cars were becoming more popular, gangs of construction guys like the ones you see on the screen went out and built these roads, uh, sometimes without a lot of power tools. They did the best they could. They didn't have all the fancy stuff that we have now. And uh, I just marvel at what people did before us. We are standing on the shoulders of giants who built our culture, our society, our civilization. And I'm so blessed by them. Uh, many of them were men who carved these things and built these gigantic dams and the roads and the electrical network that we have here. People complain about free riders. You know, if, if I'm working in this, if I join a union and other people in the in the company don't join the union, then they're free riders. But the truth is we're all free riders off of the people who've done things for us in the past. They put this incredible network together of utilities, water, sewer. We're drinking from wells we didn't dig, basically. And we're very, very blessed to have had the, the men who carved these things out of nothing. And many of them just very sacrificially doing that. So we're going to talk about our fathers today, since this is Father's Day. My name is Dave Householder, blessed to be your Bible teacher. And I want to thank everyone for filling in so well while I was gone. And uh, it was wonderful to listen to the praise set as Wendy and I were driving up the switchbacks to, uh, to what's it called, Bunny Flats on Mount Shasta. And uh, we were singing along with Kim, and then it blinked out before Tamara came on because we were out of cell range. So I had to hear the sermon yesterday and was very blessed to hear that too. So Faith of Our Fathers will be the title of today's message, and we're starting a new series called Beyond Order. It's sort of a second installment of the Brain and Bible series, where we look at deeper topics of our soul, our minds, how we think, uh, insight from psychology, from, from brain studies, and also going really, really deep into the Bible. So we've got 12 fresh Bible topics, which we're going to look at. And I like doing this. I like taking stuff from the culture and searching the scriptures to see what the, Bibles have, what the Bible has to say to these topics. And so we're going to look at one of those topics today, and that's faith of our fathers. Questions and concepts. Uh, we're taking uh, Jordan Peterson's Beyond Order book as sort of a guide to asking questions. He's probably the best person in intellectual circles right now for asking questions. But we're going to take it a step farther by finding what the Bible has to say to those things. If you're online, 
you can look at hashtag dive deep together and find all of our teaching. I think that I've posted about three or 400 teaching videos during the pandemic and they're on all kinds of topics. And you can just go to your search engine and go to hashtag dive deep together and find all of our stuff there. Here at the well, we like to go deeper with our teaching. There's one thing that I just really don't like, and that's when I'm visiting a church and five minutes into the sermon, I know exactly where it's going to go. And if you've been going to church for a long time, that tends to be the case. It's, it's the whole fresh bread thing. Wendy and I were coming through Bishop, was it two days ago? Coming through Bishop, and there's Schatz Bakery in Bishop. If you've ever been to Schatz Bakery, oh my goodness. And we're, we were on a low-carb diet before we hit it, and it just blew it right there. This, it was just gone. This is, just, this is like the carb supernova at, uh, at this place. It's fantastic. But what's great about it is the bread and stuff is still warm because you get there in the morning, and they've been baking all night. And we here at the well like to bake fresh bread. We don't like to do cookie-cutter sermons and the same old stuff that you've heard over and over and over again. So we try to stay away from cliches. Here's the topics we're going to look at. Today, we're going to look at patriarchy and fathers. Next week, we're going to talk about vocation, calling, and focus, which is the hardest thing for anybody. Uh, getting saved is easy. Knowing what God wants to do with our lives is not easy because it changes every day. It's a daily thing where we have to continue to refocus our calling. Hiding ugly, ugly stuff in the fog, how we often just shove uh, those more dysfunctional parts of ourselves off into the fog and try to ignore them. We're looking at that. And the next one is uh, how to find opportunity in the world. Wherever people give up responsibility, there's a chance and opportunity to take responsibility. And with responsibility comes authority. People complain that they don't have enough authority in life, but the truth is the more you take responsibility for things, the more authority people will give you. And that's how it works in the business world. That's how it works in every, in every institution that I know of. This is why it's so important to volunteer for things. And both in the military and in the church for centuries have been the best places to move up socially because all you have to do is volunteer. You're in the military, you're in the church, you volunteer for leadership. And believe me, we've got leadership places for everybody. You want them. And when you take responsibility, you start having authority. That's the big HR issue, if you've ever worked in HR, is when balance, the balance between authority and uh, responsibility is off. Uh, stop doing what you hate will be another topic we're going to talk about. God and ideologies. Too often we have ideologies, and I'm guilty of this, so are most of you. Uh, we have an ideology and we plug God into it rather than having a spiritually centered worldview and letting our ideologies be secondary. Who thinks that ideology has got a little out of hand the last year? Uh, a lot of polarization, a lot of left and right stuff, a lot of uh, dysfunctional things. We're going to talk about putting God first. Cultivating a work ethic. We're going to look at people in the Bible who did that. Making beauty and art. Uh, when I see our three worship leaders up here, uh, just three beautiful people, all very different, but they create art. They create something very beautiful for us to start our worship service with. And Linda goes around trying to make the room beautiful and uh, putting up all kinds of banners and flowers and all that kind of stuff. And there's something to that. We're going to talk about creating beauty and making art and what the Bible says about that. What to do about painful memories? Who here has no painful memories? 
We'll have a class for denial afterwards for those of you who uh, have shoved those ugly things into the fog. And we're going to talk about dealing with painful memories, intimate relationships. There's a list of psychological needs, which is real interesting. Clinical psychologists have a list of eight needs. And if you ever go to a clinical psychologist, they will walk you through those quickly to find out how distressed you are. And if you're missing three or more of these eight things, um, you need help. You really need help. And one of those is having a permanent intimate relationship. And to have those very close friendships or marriage or a brother or sister or somebody you're very close to and that you stick with and that that's not a disposable relationship. We're going to talk about that. Uh, resentfulness. Who thinks resentfulness really helps you get ahead in life? Uh, it, uh, it, it doesn't. It, uh, it definitely is an anchor around our, our ankles. And we're going to talk about how to shake resentfulness. And then the last one is finding gratefulness despite suffering. Not to deny the suffering, but to find gratefulness within it. The Bible never says to give thanks for your problems. It says to give thanks in them. And there's a big difference. We're going to talk about that. Who thinks those are pretty good topics to talk about? Uh, so those are Jordan Peterson's latest 12 topics he wants to talk about. And we're going to add a whole bunch of cool stuff because we're going to add more Bible. He does add quite a bit of Bible, but we're going to add a whole lot more. Talking about fathers, I have witnessed the, in my lifetime, uh, if stock in fathers was high when I was born, it's low now. Uh, we've gone from father knows best to Homer Simpson in our, in, our, in our thinking. And people, fathers aren't perfect. They aren't. But fathers are, and men in general, are really open to bashing right now. Uh, it's, it's okay to bash men in TV ads, but not women. There's, there's ways of doing that. So it's gone downhill. In fact, I was born the year my, uh, father knows best ended, and my mother and I were watching a rerun. And she was, what's the name of the main character there, the guy, the actor? He was on Marcus Welby, too. Yes, Robert Young. Robert Young. Anyways, we were watching a rerun, and my mom, who was very, very Lutheran, she said, he's such a wonderful man, I just know he's Lutheran. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I said, Mom, uh, it's, it's playing a role here. But uh, it became very real for her at that moment. So... Uh, but we've seen a decline in, in uh, the presence and the, and the admiring of men. And men, men need respect. Men need admiring. And that's gone downhill. It's been really tough. Uh, it's been a tough generation for that. So as we look at fatherhood. And also, we've got um, a lot of polarization in our culture right now. We've got two camps of people. People want to destroy everything. And people want to cling to everything that's old. So people are really into nostalgia. I wish the 50s would come back or whatever. And other people, let's get rid of everything. Let's tear down all the statues. Let's, let's get rid of uh, everything. Let's rewrite history. Let's do all that stuff. Let's redo all the pronouns. Let's redo everything. And let's get rid of everything. And there's other people who think, let's hang on to everything. Let's, uh, let's hold on to the past. Folks, 1953 is never coming back. Uh, it really isn't. And nostalgia can be a real problem in the church, especially if you've been through a revival. If you've been through a revival, you keep hoping that that revival will come back. But just like ties, neckties, they come back, but they're a little different. 
Uh, I tried keeping ties for a long time thinking, well, that'll come back in style. It never does. It's always a little bit different. Now I live in California where I don't need ties anyways, so it's, uh, it works out real well. But we've got destroyers and clingers, people who want to take down everything. And we saw that statue taking down thing. And the truth is, every one of those heroes on statues is deeply flawed. And guess what? Every hero in the Bible, except for Jesus, was deeply flawed. Your father was deeply flawed. I'm deeply flawed as a father. Guess what? People are flawed. That doesn't mean you can't be a hero if you're flawed. The idea that you cancel everybody who's got a downside. And guess what? We all do. There's still things worth admiring in people who have downsides. Are we going to get rid of Washington and Jefferson on, on Mount Rushmore because they had slaves? Uh, that's a real downside. And serious downside, by the way. But they had admirable qualities. Benjamin Franklin was a weirdo. I mean, read his biography. Just real weird person. But very admirable in some of the things he did. The prayer meetings he started at the Constitutional Convention, pretty much discovering how electricity works, all that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of great stuff. Folks, we can still admire people who aren't perfect. And if we want to look for people who don't make mistakes, they're not very heroic, are they? They, they just, you know, shuffle through life and do their thing, and they don't end up on statues. So let's, let's look at that a little bit, and also how we deal with tradition. I'd like us to read this out loud. It's on the screen here. One, two, three. Traditionalism, the dead faith of the living. Tradition, the living faith of the dead. Tradition can be very healthy. There's good things that come through tradition. It's the people who are, who've died, who've gone before us, those values that live within us, that we call that tradition. And those are good things. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living, people who just cling to stuff whether or not it still helps, whether or not it still does the job. And every generation has to ask, what part of tradition are we going to keep and what part of tradition are we going to renew or lay aside? Uh, the Lutheran Church got started 500-some years ago with someone who was very good at that, knew what to keep and what not to. Martin Luther... There was a huge explosion of the Reformation in the 1500s, and some were radical. They got rid of everything. They got rid of all the, they were called iconoclasts. They go through churches bashing stained glass windows, getting rid of statues, getting rid of everything, and they cleaned it out. Uh, in Holland, it went so far that you never see a cross on top of a church building, and you never see any decor decoration of any kind in the building. It's just very plain. They got rid of everything. Luther says, that's going too far. There are some things about tradition that are worth keeping, and unless the Bible forbids it, go ahead and keep doing it. It's just fine. And he had a real moderate way of looking at these things, which I think is helpful. Keep some of the good stuff, if it still helps. Get rid of some of the stuff that's gotten in the way. Who thinks that uh, sitting on these chairs is more comfortable than, than hardwood pews? It, uh, it's okay that we get rid of the hardwood pews. I think that that's... Plus, I can preach longer. These are, these are like two-hour sermon chairs, by the way. It, uh, they're very comfortable. By, in the late 60s, I, I saw a movie called Fiddler on the Roof. This is, takes me way back, but it's such a great movie. And Tevye, the main character, uh, sings his song, Tradition. Tradition, that kind of thing. And he faces with his daughters what to keep and what not to keep in tradition, because his tradition is unraveling around him, and he has to decide, what part of my faith do I keep? And he's always talking, talking to God directly. 
go, Lord, what do you expect me to do with this? You know, that kind of stuff. And there's all of this. But we all deal with that. What do we keep from our fathers, the faith of our fathers, the tradition that's come down? And what do we renew and replace? And how do we find a, a nice balance between those things? Because we want a good balance between renewal and also uh, just keeping some of those, those festival kind of things. Well, we're going to look at Jesus today. So let's look at Luke 2. If you've got your Bibles, phones, tablets, whatever you like to look, or just look on the screen with me. Jesus is a junior high kid at this point. And uh, he was, uh, they went to a feast in Jerusalem with his parents, with Mary and Joseph. Starting with verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. Excuse me. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Now, they lived in Nazareth. And Nazareth was a great place to work, but it was far from the Jewish homeland of Jerusalem. Much like my grandparents during World War II went to Alaska to work because there were lots of great jobs in Alaska. My parents were raised in Alaska because of that. Uh, they weren't from there, but they went up north to work. And that's kind of what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were up north in Galilee to work in a very multicultural area. It wasn't really a strong Jewish uh, stronghold kind of place. So they would show up in Jerusalem for the festival. And, folks, this was a big deal. This is a map from Google Maps. You can look it up yourself. I put Nazareth and the western wall of the temple. It's 92 miles. On foot, that's 184 miles round trip every year. And they often went to two or three festivals a year. Think about that. That's 10 miles a day with a big group, and you can't go much faster than 10 miles a day with a big group because you've got kids and you've got older people and everything else. 10 miles a day walking, that's nine days to get to Jerusalem, if you can imagine that. And people think, oh, people are just poor back then. If you can afford that kind of vacation every year, three times a year, you're, you've got plenty of resources. This was a first world country back then. If you got, in the Roman Empire, if you got past your childhood diseases, your life expectancy was 70. And people had pension plans. And they, I mean, look, at the, look at the architecture from back then and the hot and cold running water and, and the whole thing. And so this was an advanced society. And yet they were still walking back and forth. And you all know, if you go on a horse, it's even slower. It's uh, going with a horse is not fast. It just takes you off your, your feet. And so you look at this thing. Wendy and I like to hang around with through hikers. On the Pacific Crest Trail, there's people called through hikers. And we've met a few of them. They all have a trail name. We met uh, McQueen, and we met Papillon, and we met uh, um, Captain Fantastic, and a few other ones. And there's these young people. And they, they hike from Mexico to Canada. And the Pacific Crest Trail goes right through here. We met a couple of them up near, near Lassen. Just, uh, they're you know, on their way from four different states. And Jesus was a thru-hiker. I mean, the things he did back and forth put a lot of mileage on the road. And it gave us new insight into foot washing and why that was so important. We just got back home, and I've washed my feet five times, and they're still not quite where they need to be. It's, uh, it's, uh, how many times do you have to wash our socks? Four times washing our socks. from, from like, So, I mean, this is, foot washing was kind of a big deal back then. So 92 miles, and the word religion has fallen out of favor. And I'm as much of 
guilty of that as anyone else. I prefer the word spiritual because I'm not religious, so I'm not either. I'm just, I just want a relationship with God. That, that's kind of a cliche. Folks, Jesus was a religious man. They kept festivals. They did things. He went to the synagogue. He had a pattern. He believed a bit in the tradition. And he followed the tradition. He threw out the parts that weren't working. But he said, some of this is worth keeping. Some of this is worth doing. Some of this is still meaningful. One of my friends, Brian Zond, who is a very controversial pastor in uh, Missouri, but I went to visit him in his church. He looks like Bob Dylan. I think he wants to look like Bob Dylan, but uh, neat guy, neat guy. And uh, I've had coffee with him at his bookstore at his church, and he recommends my books, and I recommend his. But uh, he wrote this on May 28th. This is one of his tweets. It's true that Jesus condemned religious hypocrisy and abuse of religious authorities, which he did. But Jesus also practiced a religious faith involving sacred texts, prayers, calendar, pilgrimage, ritual, etc. Jesus was a religious man. I seek to be one too, contra the spirit of the age. There is something about gathering in person on Sundays, something about taking communion, something about uh, just celebrating Christian holidays, Pentecost, Easter, Christmas. There's something valuable about that. Uh, educating our children, uh, doing the kind of things that really do make sense. Give it a pattern to what we do. Those patterns are useful. Let's go on with the story here. When they'd finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. you got to watch junior high boys all day. You just never know what's going to happen. Uh, boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Can you imagine the big city, all those things that could happen in the big city? But supposing him to have been in the company, there's a whole gang of people walking together. They went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Uh, he's, you know, he's the skinny guy that's this tall. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. I can imagine the panic looking for their, their son here. This is a big city. It's a convention town. People show up for these big festivals. That's kind of their big thing. That's what they do for a living in Jerusalem. Now, so it was after that, after three days, they found him in the temple, the very center of the tradition, the very center of what was handed down, the very center of teaching, learning, and all of those things, the very center of scholarship, the very center of that which went on for centuries before Jesus. Look at your Bibles, folks. Seven-eighths of it happened before Jesus. And all of that stuff was coming down through this stream of wisdom and focused in Jerusalem, sitting in the midst of his teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, imagine that she used stronger language than this, but this is what comes down in the Bible. Why have you done this to us? <laughs> Well, you, you stayed behind. You, you ditched us. It's not their fault. He's the one that ditched them. Your father and I have looked for you anxiously. We're worried about you. Do you ever lose your kid? First, you say you're so glad to see them, and then you want to slap them at, at that point because you're just, you're so, what, are you, what are you thinking? What are you thinking making us afraid like this? And he said to them, why did you seek me? 
Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? What a cheeky thing for a junior high kid to say. Didn't you, you should have known where I was supposed to be. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. They're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Didn't you know I should have been about my father's business? This is Father's Day. Jesus was tapping into the tradition. And he was growing in the tradition. You might say, well, he was the son of God. Folks, he gave that up to be a person. It says so in Philippians. He emptied himself of all godliness to become one of us. He was like Batman, not Superman. He, you would have shot him, he would have died. He was vulnerable. They crucified him, he bled, he died. And so he had to grow in wisdom too. And the Bible says this in just a second. He wasn't born as a baby, omniscient. In fact, his miracles were done by the power of the Holy Spirit, pretty much showing us how to do them, not showing off, try to prove who he was. He kept avoiding that. He didn't want to be a celebrity. He wanted to be a teacher. He wanted to teach us how to do these, these things, how to change the world. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth, 92 miles away, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom. So therefore, he had to grow and learn too. And he spent some time growing and learning, learning from the teachers, learning from the fathers, the patriarchy, the people passed these things down. He, was he learned to stand on the shoulders of the giants. Of course, I would be there. You see, in Ezekiel 47, in the Old Testament, it talks about a river coming out of the temple. And it's a beautiful passage. It starts out as a trickle, and it gets wider and wider and wider, and there's life wherever it flows, wherever the river flows. And Jesus knew where the center of that river was and stayed there for a while and drank deeply from the water coming out of the temple, spiritually speaking. He knew where to find it. And, folks, this is why I love reading the Bible. The Bible is so much smarter than me. I can't imagine anybody reading the Bible and thinking, I'm going to critique this book, because the Bible is the distillation of the coming of age, spiritually, of the human race over centuries. You're not going to outdo the Bible. The Bible has stuff in there that is absolutely sublime. And to, to drink from that, Jesus needed to do that as a young boy. He needed to understand this stuff, and he needed to to be filled up with it. Let's do a little vocabulary. Speaking of Father's Day, Jesus called God, and this was not typical, Abba, which is daddy or father, a term of endearment. And that's in Aramaic, the language that he spoke at home. Um, no, it's not the Swedish rock band from the 70s, uh, just in case you wondered. But uh, this is really key here because the reason he calls God Father is not that he wanted to make sure God was male or anything like that. It's this. In Semitic, Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic thinking, in a family, the man is the source of spiritual power and the woman is the source of healing. When you skin your knee, who do you yell for? Mom, it just, it's just natural. Uh, that's the way that works. Um, I've been in trouble surfing a few times, in big trouble, where your leash breaks and the waves are heavy and you're getting pulled out. And 
there's two things I scream for. <laughs> one is Jesus, and the other one is mom. <laughs> you, just, you just naturally, mom is the one who rescues, the one who protects, the one who keeps us alive, the one who just, it, try it sometime. Go out, go out in the break when it's heavy, lose your surfboard, and you'll be yelling for mom. It's just, it just it's a natural thing. And men in Hebrew thinking, men are the head, and that doesn't mean the master. Let me let me be really clear about this. The head is the source of the body, and in the beginning, Genesis one one, it says, "Bereshit." Bereshit doesn't mean in the beginning because Hebrews don't the Hebrews don't have a timeline. They don't have a sense of beginning. It says in the time of the head. In the time, in the source time. And for him, Abba was the word for the source of the universe. This, that's the source from which this whole creation flows. And there's power in that flow, and we can tap into that flow. He called that flow the kingdom, and that was all of his teaching. But there is a source that loves you, a source that is a lot like you, that created you to be like him wants a relationship with you, and you have access to all of that power that is coming from the center of the universe. That's pretty cool stuff. That's quite a worldview. It's a very potent worldview. Jesus didn't come to the world just to forgive sins. I mean, God didn't create the universe just to let us off the hook. He, he came here to show us how to live as spiritual beings in a spiritual world. And Jesus was the main teacher of the Bible of how to do that how to make that happen. So the source, Rosh Hashanah is the word for New Year's in Hebrew. Rosh is the head Hashanah of the year, the source of the year, the beginning of the year. So this is why it's important for men to bless their families. It's important for men to be the source and not just the, the trailer in the family spiritually. It's important for men to initiate the prayers, to bring people to church, to to get things going. Uh, you go to a big group of people, go to, go to your Thanksgiving dinner. Let's say there's 35 people there. Ask a 10-year-old who's going to say the blessing. The 10-year-olds will look at the ranking male instantly because that's the person from which the head, the blessing of the family. And please hear me, I'm a total egalitarian when it comes to spiritual gifts. Totally. Uh, that's a hill I will die on in two seconds. Uh, spiritual gifts, teaching, leadership, and all that stuff, it's never said in the Bible that that's reserved for a certain kind or a certain gender. On my best day, I will never teach Bible as well as Beth Moore. Not going to happen. Uh, the idea that she shouldn't be teaching is crazy. In fact, she's just left a denomination that told her she couldn't teach. <sighs> Joyce Meyer, same thing. I ran into Joyce Meyer at the Van Nuys Airport because I run into everybody. That's just how I am. I, I ran into her. You're Joyce Meyer. I certainly am. And uh, she said, uh, at the time I was pastoring a Lutheran church, she says, uh, what do you do? I said, I'm a Lutheran pastor. She said, I'm a Lutheran. I says, an ex-Lutheran? No, I'm a Lutheran. And she says, you know, but I was raised in a part of the Lutheran church and still is a member of part of the Lutheran church that won't let me teach. So I had to leave the church. We, we lost Joyce Meyer. Best teacher we've had in a century coming out of the Lutheran tradition. I just think, what are we thinking? So I'm a total egalitarian when it comes to gifts, but I do believe men and women have different spiritual 
majors. Can women still bless? Sure they can. Can men still heal? Sure they can. I'd still rather be with a female doctor. I don't have one, but it just seems like they'd be better healing. Anyways, Rosh Hashanah. Patriarchy means rule by fathers. The rule by fathers or the system of, of men who put things together. Men tend to work in hierarchies. That's how we work. You put a bunch of men, put a few hundred men in uh, on a football field, no women around, they'll create a hierarchy in two seconds. It's just what we do. That's how we operate. And why do we do that? So the best gifts come to the top. The people who are the best at getting things done go up, go up the ladder, and we give them the authority to make decisions. That's, that's how armies work. That's how football teams work. You're better at throwing the ball, so you get to throw the ball. I'm bigger, and I'll just you know, push people around, that kind of stuff. That's how men operate, and they're very good at that. And patriarchy is how men organize their systems. Personally, I believe that when men and women are 50-50 in leadership, it's a lot healthier because you get all men in one place and it starts smelling really bad and things degenerate. Uh, I won't even say what happens when all women get together. There's no men, but there's problems there too. So we need to have a good balance. That's why God made 50-50 in families is that we would have roughly equivalency in that. Patriotism is a uh, is valuing the values of the fathers. Patri, that comes from father, patri, uh, patriarchy, patriotism. Uh, do, we, do we love our country? Now, patriotism can get weird. Samuel Johnson in 1789 or whatever, the great intellectual said, uh, patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. Uh, that's going too far. Patriotism can get out of hand if you use it against other countries. But loving the country you're in being grateful for the country you're in and thinking of the collective good rather than just your own good and being just a narcissist, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have some team spirit. It's a good thing to value the place that we are. The founding fathers, we talk about the people who started this country, brilliant men uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And the Senate is literally the... Uh, it's Latin for the old men. And we get the word senile from that too, by the way. <laughs> it's the same root. It's the old men who would be the elders who would, uh, would carry, people who lived the longest carried the most wisdom with them, and they could look at things from lots of different perspectives. And so the Senate of Rome then was, was run that way. So basically, we are sitting on the shoulders of some fantastic fathers. And please hear me. Uh, I'm not trying to, to sideline women in this talk. Uh, but on Mother's Day, we don't talk about fathers either. You know, it's, you, you got to focus on dads a little bit and fatherhood and, and work on these things. And uh, there we have uh, what it is. We're on the shoulders of great people. And to value the shoulders we're sitting on is a form of patriotism. To say, yes, I'm really glad you guys built this water system. I'm really glad that you put the electric lights in. I'm really glad that you built the schools and the churches. The people who built this building are long dead, I'm sure, or really, really old. Uh, that's just how that works. We've inherited all of this stuff. Most, most of the airplanes you fly in were designed by a bunch of older men who put these things together. Dave does some of that, but he can't tell us or he'll have to kill us. But he's, uh, he's got the engineering thing where he designs those things. And think, think of the moon, the moon landings, folks. Just look at, look at the, look at all of the men who built. There's some women involved in the math and some other things, but 
they did a pretty cool job on the Saturn V. Men getting together, they build hierarchies, the gifted ones come to the top, they create moon rockets. That's how that works. So I'm going to introduce you to a couple of um, couple of uh, father figures in my life, and we're going to kind of close with that. Institutions created over thousands of years. It's important not to bash institutions. Now, I'm a boomer. I'm a, a very young boomer, but barely a boomer, almost a Gen Xer. And our generation was really bashing of, of institutions. A little bit too much so. A little bit too much so. We went a little bit too far with some of that stuff. Uh, truth is, it takes, it takes thousands of years to build institutions. And before ripping them down, you need to pay attention to what the good is in them. And you need to fix the abuses in them and the unfairness and the sexism and the racism and all those problems. But you really do need to say, all right, let's be careful with this. Let's not kill the patient while we're cutting his fingernails. Let, let's make sure that we're paying attention to the value that has been handed down to us. And there's no better place to get that wisdom than the Bible. This is why I love doing the daily Bible thing, and this is why I love getting into the Word, because I'm drinking from the same fountain Jesus was drinking from. Creative renewal from the outside. There's always going to be a balance between renewal and changing things and keeping and conserving things. And to find that proper balance in your own life and also to reject all of the values that have come down to you makes no sense. Keep the good ones. Pay attention to that. You had imperfect, you had an imperfect father. We all did. But there's good things in that that come down to us. Let me introduce you to a couple of men who are like fathers to me. I've talked about my dad almost every father's day, so I'm going to talk about a couple of other guys. That's me, by the way, the little kid, in 1960. And that's my grandfather, Yalmer or J.E. Danielson. He was Swedish. He was embarrassed about his first name because it was so foreign-sounding. But his name was Yalmer, and he was the son of Swedish immigrants, and he was a remarkable man. He's 56 in this picture, which is four years younger than me, and he looks a lot older, doesn't he? Say yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, he and I were very, very, very close, um, except for Wendy, probably the closest person I've had in my life. And just a, a fantastic human being. Um, grew up in a very fractured home, a lot of problems, left home in junior high, worked the harvest every year, and ended up with an MBA from the University of North Dakota, uh, living on his own from junior high on, basically, uh, doing all kinds of things to make things happen. He was the school superintendent in Ketchikan, Alaska, and uh, did all kinds of, of great stuff like that. But the cool thing was, when I was in college, I picked my college because it was across the street from Grandma and Grandpa's house. I went 2,000 miles away so I could be closer to Grandma and Grandpa. And uh, they were right across the street. And he took me out for breakfast every Tuesday for four years, which is pretty dang cool. And uh, I was not always in the best place in college. I had some maturity issues. But he never seemed to mind. Grandparents are great because they don't feel the need to parent you. Uh, and they realize that they've parented and it doesn't work that well anyway. So they, they, they just, they, they, they're just, just there to like you, you know, and do your thing. And he'd take them out for breakfast. And he'd always say the same thing. 
how about that steak? You know, like you always wanted me to order the most expensive thing on the menu and we'd sit there and he'd, he'd tell me stuff. And he shared with me the, the uh, um, productivity and positive mental attitude literature from the depression. Uh, it was like um, Napoleon Hill stuff and all these kind of things that got him through the depression because he basically grew up during that time and, and had to work his way through. And so he read all this inspirational literature from back then, which is the golden age of that stuff. And he would share it with me. Awesome stuff. And uh, really, he was always okay with where I was, but always wanted to share something from the stream, something that he picked up, something that he'd learned. I think that is so important. And I, so I sat there on Tuesday morning, sometimes not really with it, sometimes getting it, but always appreciating it. If nothing else, I got a really good breakfast and uh, really enjoyed that. But he was super supportive of us when we first got married. And uh, just a neat, neat guy. So anyways, uh, yeah, <laughs> I saw him last time in the hospital. He was like 96 years old or whatever. And he was dying. I, he said, uh, his hospital food's terrible and they won't let me eat any salt. So I went out and got him hamburger and fries and a shake. <laughs> just <laughs> snuck it in. <laughs> and my last memory of him was shaving him with his, his electric razor because they were kind of behind on shaving him. He was embarrassed about that. But uh, neat guy. In uh, Ezekiel 47.9, we talked about that river, drinking from the river of tradition, affirming those things. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. This is from Ezekiel, which I told you about. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there, or they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. That river is a river of life. The river of tradition is a river of life. I'm going to bring up one more guy here. I'm going to invite the worship team up. This is Glenn Carlson. Some of you know Glenn. Glenn uh, uh, is a Canadian pastor, and I've always been a kind of person who just loves deeper Bible study and that kind of stuff. And I'm also drawn to the things of the Spirit. I, I've been drawn to things like Curcio and Alpha and uh, those expressions of the faith where the Holy Spirit is welcome. And I've always been drawn to that stuff. And in those sort of Holy Spirit circles, there isn't much academic stuff going on. And so I always thought, well, if I want to be really spiritual, I have to give up the truth and learning and academic side. And if I was on the academic side, I figured I'd have to give up the Holy Spirit stuff because nobody talks about that on the academic side. Glenn Carlson shot. He taught me how to do both. This is so cool because he embodied that. He's written all kinds of books, and he's, he goes as deep as anybody, and yet he engages in a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. And I just thought, how cool is that? And so I've spent a lot of time with Glenn over the years, and uh, he's just an absolutely delightful, delightful person. And uh, I'm just very grateful to, to Glenn for being that person who um, walks in the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and yet believes in Spirit and truth being in, in not a compromise, but a, 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 an alliance. And I've kind of patterned my whole ministry on, on that, going deep into the Word and being open to the Spirit. I'm very grateful to Glenn. So those are two father figures in my life. I talk about my dad most years, but I thought I'd give you guys a break. And 
I talk about a couple of other wonderful men. I hope you'll think of some other men in your lives that have invested in you as the people who've made a difference for you. Could have been a boss, a coach, a band director, a youth pastor, a, a neighbor, an uncle, whoever it might have been, who wasn't your biological father, maybe a grandparent, somebody who did those things. I'm going to close with uh, this verse here. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, this is Paul writing. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our letters. Let's pray. Lord, like, uh, like Tevier and, F- and Fiddler on the Roof, I just, uh, I and everyone here, we, we love some of the things about our traditions. Some things bother us. We, we want to find that balance of strength that your son found. We want to take the best of the faith of our fathers, Lord, the giants of the Bible, who uh, sublime insight into what we're doing here on this planet, who listened for your voice and who wrote down what they heard when you spoke. I just give you thanks for my my father, um, householder, Lord. To, talk about him every Father's Day. This time I just gave that a rest for a year, but I just give you thanks for him in my life and especially how he loved my mom. Taught me how to, to be a, a good husband who loves his wife and that's given me so much blessing in my life. Thanks, Lord, for my my grandfather, J.E., his work ethic and his investment in me. Give you thanks for Glenn Carlson, Lord, who taught me how to go deep into your word, Lord, and your truth, and yet walk in the spirit and freedom that comes from that. We give you thanks, Lord, for Whoever brought us to the river. Some of us have perhaps lost the sight of where the river is. We need to find our way back to it. And yes, there's things in our traditions we need to change and we need to renew and we need to reform. But help us always to value the river, Lord. We can clean up the river without getting rid of it. We pray for wisdom as to what to send down to the next generation and what to uh, what to lay aside. Give you thanks, Lord, for the faith of our fathers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For your strength, my 
Strongholds now are shaking. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Love is breaking through when the Father's in the room. Lay your burdens down. Here in the Father's house, check your shame at the door. Cause it ain't welcome anymore You're in the Father's house Lay your burdens down Here in the Father's house Check your shame at the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore You're in the Father's house.
like y'all to stand if you would, and uh, I'm going to walk you through something that uh, normally we just kind of skateboard over. But I'd like you to, if you would, to uh, join hands with people across the aisle, make sure everybody's connected to somebody. I have to kind of move over to do that. I'd like you just to uh, open up your spirit, and we're going to just have you listen to the prayer that Jesus taught us in the light of what we've been teaching today. Let's start with our Father, and Jesus wouldn't have said our Father. The word didn't exist yet. The English language didn't exist yet. It was 1,500 years down the road. The word Father had never been spoken, so it said uh, Abba. Aramaic, the source. So when Jesus prayed, he would connect with the source of creation, the power coming out of it. Our Father who art in heaven, in heaven for him, Shemayim was the sparkling, it's the word for the sparkles on the water uh, when the sun goes across the, the lake or brook. And that's the Hebrew symbol for the power behind everything. It's not just a place to go when you die. It's, uh, it's the spiritual realm underlying everything. The power of consciousness, the power of... Uh, but you can't touch it. You can't chase it just like those sparkles on the water. It's not physical. The physical world has a spiritual source. So he would pray to the source of... that uh, sends this power out from heaven. And he would say, hallowed be Hashem, Hashem. Shem is the word name, Hashem, the name. Kadosh Hashem. Holy is the name. Deep awe and respect for the name of the Lord. And never to misuse that word. And then he would... Once his disciples got connected to the source in heaven, he would say, send your kingdom, send your, your rule, your power through our hands, through our minds, through our eyes. The power that uh, raised Jesus from the dead lives in all of us, the Bible says. The, the life force, our Shadan called that Elan uh, Vital, the life force. Send it through us. Send your power through us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Get uh, Align this physical world with your heavenly blueprint. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. We fight a spiritual battle daily. forces of hatred and evil, cynicism and narcissism, violence. Be with us in the battle, Lord, the battle against evil. For yours is that kingdom, Lord, the, the power and the glory. Kingdom, power, and glory all go together. That's uh, flowing through all of us as we ask for that, as we connect with the source. The olam, the olam, the 
unto ages of ages. And literally in Hebrew, universe into universes. The whole thing. I pray this all in Jesus' name. And we've got a closing song from Jen. Surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And all my life, you have been faithful. 
I thought of a tradition which we sort of uh, lost track of, but in Aaron's blessing in the Old Testament, it was done, and the person blessing had to be barefoot. Well, I'm close. I had to take my shoes off. And who's seen Star Trek and who's seen Bach do his thing like this? This is where he got that. Uh, Leonard Nimoy was raised an Orthodox Jew, and that's that's how you bless people is with that. So he had to come up with a symbol. So he thought, well, I know that one. <laughs> Live long and prosper, whatever he came up with. But uh, I'd like you to receive the blessing. And I'm going to do it the traditional way from deep back in the river. The way Aaron first did it uh, back in the wilderness. So I had to take my shoes off and do the right finger thing. And who knows why they did it, but why not just affirm the tradition sometimes? Open your hands to receive a blessing. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his shalom, his peace. All God's people said, amen. Have a great Father's Day, the rest of you. And uh, those of you watching on TV, we'll see you again for daily Bible teaching tomorrow.